0: All the while I was growing up, I can remember my folks, particularly my dad, saying something on the order of, well, you can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. You can catch more flies with honey, sweet, sticky stuff, than you can with uh, sour and much bitter substances, such as, uh, such as vinegar. And I believe that's what St. Paul was trying to uh, convey to the church in Rome, as we read this morning, just a moment ago. You know, being a Christian wasn't very easy back then. Not that it is now. In fact, being a Christian never has been easy. My guess is it never will be. Back then, as now, there were pressures from the outside. They were trying to in- exist in a society and the surrounding empire that, well, tended to view Christians as nothing but a bunch of cooks. But then things within the congregation were not often a whole lot better and were quite confusing at times. Within the church at that point in time, there were folks from different backgrounds and parts of the kingdom, all trying to coexist together. There were masters and slaves trying to come to grips with this whole concept of oneness in Christ. All this sort of business. It wasn't easy. And in such a context, Paul's words were pointed and powerful. Above all else, he said, show genuine love, not faith, not self-serving, genuine love to one another, honor one another, strive to live in harmony, extend hospitality to everybody. Rejoice because you have an ultimate hope in God. And continue in prayer. That kind of prayer which allows you to be patient in your suffering. Mm. I got news for you folks. St. Paul was preaching to the preacher. Pray so you can be patient in your suffering. In other words, he's saying you can indeed catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. That's so much parental advice. Uh, These words of sound Christian living may sound good, but I think you know as well as I do that it's often not easy to, to abide by words such as these. And yet I believe that the results of living in light of Paul's words uh, can be a powerful stimulus to a congregation, to this congregation, to any congregation. I heard about a a board meeting in a church one night in which the pastor asked one of the congregation's leaders to share an opening prayer. The man stood for a moment, and then he hesitated. One moment led to another, and it finally became a, a long and awkward silence. And finally, the man said, Pastor, before I pray, I've got to clear something up. He said, I've been trying to knife one of our folks in the back for a long, long time over a wrong that I thought he had done to me. I have been his constant enemy, he said, and now I must ask his forgiveness before I can pray. At that, this gentleman walked over to the man in question, reached down, and took his hand. To his surprise, the second man looked up and he said, And I've been trying to put the skids under you as well. It was an unchristian thing to do, the second man said, and in turn, I want to quit trying, or to try to quit. Quit trying to be vengeful. I'm going to get it out. yet. Yeah, see, that's, that's not only hard to do, it's hard to say, folks. I'm going to quit trying to be vengeful. And at that, the two former enemies engaged in a heartfelt embrace. The rest of that meeting, I'm told, was taken up in prayer and in moments of reconciliation. There were words of appreciation and commendation spoken that should have been spoken perhaps long ago. And at the close of the meeting, the board secretary approached the pastor. And she said, Pastor, there doesn't seem to be much to record about this meeting tonight. But the wise and grateful preacher looked at her and said, never in such a meeting has more been accomplished. He said, in fact, under new business, simply say, we loved one another. We loved one another. Is that not the business of the church? Yet, getting along within the life of the congregation is, uh, well, it's not an automatic fringe benefit of accepting salvation, is it? Nor is it uh, among the rights and responsibilities uh, that we accept with church membership. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't come automatic. On the other hand, gracious living in the midst of community is something at which we all, We all must work day in and day out. Acting in true love and attempting to live in harmony within the Christian community is an acquired habit. It's a cultivated virtue. It doesn't come naturally. And that's why I think both Jesus and St. Paul stressed it so very very much And then in his writing Paul who was in prison at the time recall he continued bless those who persecute you and do not repay evil for evil if your enemy is hungry feed him or if they're thirsty give them something to drink Kind of like what Jesus was saying, was he not, when he told the story of the Good Samaritan? But as I indicated a moment ago, it's uh, it's what Paul said next that really resonates with me, because he said, by responding with good in the face of evil, you'll really blow their minds. That's a '70s translation. Blow their minds, you'll mess with their psyches. Or as he put it, you'll heat burning coals up on their heads. You know, this is sound advice, not only what it, uh, for what it does to and with others, but also what it can do for us. For as the 5th century monk Pelagius said, The enemy has overcome you when he makes you like himself. The enemy has overcome you when he makes you like himself. You know, I can't help but think that when he wrote those words to the church in Rome, St. Paul was thinking very consciously about the death of Stephen the first Christian martyr. Paul, or Saul as he was known back then, was present that day on the outskirts of Jerusalem when Stephen was condemned and stoned to death for testifying to his faith in Jesus. The book of Acts tells us actually that Paul not only approved of this assassination... But he even held the coats of those who were throwing the rocks so they could do so with less encumbrance. And yet, and yet the whole time that this mob was murdering Stephen, he was praying for those who were throwing the rocks at him. He was forgiving them and invoking God's blessing upon them. Wow. And that must have really messed with Paul's mind. And I can't help but believe that it had a very profound effect upon him and his subsequent conversion to Christianity because it wasn't too very long after this happened that Paul was uh, on his route from Jerusalem to the Syrian capital of Damascus in order to persecute should we say it, to murder, if you would, even more Christians. And we know of his encounter that day on that road with uh, the risen Christ. The rest, as they say, is history. You Talk about things that you can learn on the road. Light of... The recent tragedies and violence between Israel and Hamas forces in Gaza was struck by the story of a man named Mordecai Rockman. Mordecai was a security agent on an El Al, an Israeli airline flight operating, uh, originating in Zurich several years ago. A group of suspected Arab terrorists attempted to board that plane that he was trying to guard, but Rockman recognized their intent and chased him away from the boarding gate, thus undoubtedly saving the lives of untold passengers who were to be on that flight that day. When he returned to Israel, he was given a hero's welcome And as a reward for his bravery, he was granted a full scholarship to Bar Ilan University. When somebody asked him what would be his major, Mordecai replied, I will study the problems of the Middle East, he said, so I can understand the Arabs better. Hmm. The Jew. I will study the problems of the Middle East so I can understand the Arabs better. At a time, and that time still exists, by the way, when no one believes that a Jew and an Arab should even speak to each other, much less try to get along. This young Jewish man refused to see all Arabs as enemies, he refused to see all Arabs as the same, he refused to judge them in the same manner and he dedicated his life to understanding those with whom his people were having so very many problems now I appreciate full well the fact that peace is risky business it always has been It always will be. And I'm just as aware that our attempts at peaceful coexistence, should we say, are just as likely to blow up in our faces as they are to have any positive effect. But I know this as well. I know that enmity and strife, that hatred and warfare are certainties they are the certainties of death and destruction the certainties of even more enmity and strife of hatred and warfare of violence continuing in an endless pathetic tragic cycle and somehow some way that cycle must be broken. And that's another lesson I started to say that I've learned. That'd be a lie. That's a lesson that I'm continuing to learn upon this journey of my own life. And I'm here to tell you, as Paul and Jesus, among others, have done before me, that we might have to change in order for the world around us to really change we might have to change in order to effect positive change in the world around us now friends if that doesn't scare you you don't understand the situation scares me And I also know that we can do precious little to calm the tensions in the Middle East or Ukraine, elsewhere in the world that things are going, you know where, in a handbasket. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to make a difference here, where we live, in our relationships with those among whom we have our most constant contact. And I'm here to tell you that our attitudes and our actions toward others, especially in the face of negativism, can make a difference. They can make a difference in this church. They can make a difference in the community that surrounds us. They can make a difference in the world, at least to some extent. They can make a difference in the lives of the students and even our colleagues in the colleges that surround us. They can make a difference in our homes, in our schools, in our places of business. Some years ago, a man in prison on death row was visited by that prison's chaplain. The chaplain came into the prisoner's cell and introduced himself. Then both he and the prisoner just sat there and stared at each other in silence for several long moments. All of a sudden, the convict looked up at the pastor and spit a huge gob of saliva into the chaplain's face. At this, the chaplain slowly removed his handkerchief, wiped the spittle from his face, looked intently at the prisoner and said, you got any more? Grace in the faith, face of aggression is not generally a response that one usually expects. But it can have a very positive effect. And I'm told that that convict looked at the chaplain in total bewilderment for a moment. And then he broke down in tears and thereafter began to bear his soul to this visitor. The man of God had replied to evil and rejection with goodness and with love. And you want to talk about blowing somebody's mind? About heaping coals upon their head? my friends, we can never expect the world around us to change unless and until we ourselves change the way or the ways, perhaps, that we deal with and respond to the evil, the hatred, the bitterness, the enmity that we encounter in our own lives. As Christians, we have been called to embody God's grace. That grace that's been shown in various ways to each and every one of us. We have been called, chosen to show it to the world in which we live. And most specifically, we've been called and chosen to show God's grace in the face of the evil around us, in the face of those with whom we might have the most significant problem. No, it's not easy. Yes, it's difficult. Perhaps even dangerous. But I guarantee you that it's the only way that reconciliation or that peace will ever come about. And so may God help us And bless us as we attempt to be God's agents of peace in a hate-filled and war-torn world around us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.